Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Everybody's been doing psalms, and they asked me, would you like to sit down? And I says, are you kidding? I cannot sit down. i got to walk around all the time. Um, This morning I'm going to be speaking on Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is one of six psalms called a michtam. Michtam means the golden psalm, a psalm that is precious, that David had written all these six psalms. It's the 16th psalm, 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60. If you notice those psalms, you'll go and you'll see that word michtam at the top. And it's that golden psalm. The, the, the root word to this uh, michtam means to engrave. It is so important that it should be engraved in gold, as it were, because it's so important for us even today in the New Testament. I'm going to read this psalm to us, and then we'll break this down uh, as we go. Uh, So this psalm starts off with this. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God shall be multiplied. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and cup. He supports my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord for he has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. Therefore, my flesh will also dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow the Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forever." So let's start with this first verse here. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. You see, when David is writing this song, it starts off with a prayer. And this prayer is not a prayer of desperation. It is a prayer that he has prayed many times before. When he started in his life, when he was just young, he was being prepared to be the king of Israel. So in that, he was beginning to be trained up by the Lord. So in the beginning where he comes and he's ready to go visit his brothers and they're at the battleground where they're going to fight Goliath and the Philistines, this one point, he comes to Saul, he's on his way there, and he gets attacked by a bear and a lion. Now we know human beings, we are not able to overcome them. They're way larger than we are. And uh, so he goes there, and God gives him the strength to kill this bear and this lion. And now as he goes to go speak to Saul, the king, he says, I'll, I'll go in there and fight. And Saul was trying to discourage him, saying, you're just a youth. But he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear shall surely deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, he took what God did even 
moments before and he took it, that, that faith that God had enabled him to destroy these two and he knew in and of himself because he was a boy, a young kid, that he was able to kill this barren lion. He says, surely God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, God wants us to build upon the faith as God's faithfulness as we move on. We take what God has shown us and we take that faith and step up for the next challenge, whatever it may be. In, um, in this part where he comes now when he's going to fight Goliath, we have to understand that he goes and does exactly what he said. And then he fights the Philistines. Then he fights the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites had kidnapped all the, his wives and children and he was going out after them. But before he did that, he inquired of the Lord and said, Lord, he came to the priest, actually, who had the ephod to say, should I or shouldn't I attack him? And the Lord said, surely you will overcome them. And that's what he ended up doing. And he rescued all those people that were kidnapped. Faith and faith and faith and faith. It is not only building up your faith, but showing you the faithfulness of God. It's God who pulled through. It's just him trusting, trusting in, in what God can do. It's God's faithfulness. We need to remember these things as we move through this life that we are living. I'm going to share a story of my life because what's happened in my life is true and I understand it because it happened to me. Now, most of you know that I've been a paramedic for 31 years and I see that the Lord had given me this profession. I love it. I enjoyed it. I mean, I really like doing what I do, and I look forward to going to work. Sounds strange, but it's true. I loved my job. But as I was doing this for quite some time, the county decided that he was, they were wanting us to all become firemen, firefighters. And I had no, no desire to be a fireman. I had a thing about burning to death. <laughs> Silly me. But I didn't want, I didn't really want to go to school. But I inquired of the Lord and I said, Lord, should I do this or not? And the Lord said, yeah. Because God had made me to the point where I enjoyed what he gave me as being a paramedic. But now he's taking me out of my comfort zone because I had certain fears. I didn't want to be a firefighter and I just didn't want to do it. But I went ahead, I obeyed God and I went through it. So I go to school. I am 40 years old going to fire school. Most of these people in fire school are young bucks. I got the gray hair coming out here, and I had no desire. So here I am going to fire school, but God, during the training times, he enabled me to overcome some of my fears and did whatever he wanted me to do, and I really began to see God's hand in it in spite of my age and my, my lack of knowledge of being a fireman. And I graduated fire school, and, but we all know that Coming out of school, you're not a firefighter until you go in a fire. So I'm going to tell you of two fires that I went on. The first fire, there was uh, a pretty big conflagration at this shopping center. It had about nine stores. This shopping center had a common attic loft with no breaks in between, no fire breaks. So the fire, when, if it got in the attic, it would go to all the other stores. Now, this store in the middle caught fire. At some, it was like a head shop where they were burning incense and they left something burning overnight and it caught this place on fire. It's not far from our station. We see it happening. We see the smoke showing. We head out over to the fire. When we get there, we don't know where the seat of the fire is. We're trying to find out where it originated from so we could start putting it out. So as we go in, we're 
opening up our nozzles and blowing out the ceiling tiles to try to find out where the fire is. Well, after a while, it gets super, super hot. And I've prayed. I said, Lord, just don't let me get hurt in this fire. And as we're getting in there, it is getting so hot that we had these three big monitors on the ground blowing water at this thing. It was like we were just spitting at this fire. And at one point, the chief calls us out and says, hey, it's getting too hot. You need to come out of the fire. As we walk out from the doors of the fire, above the doors where we were standing with their air handles to the air conditioner, and they started failing and they fell to the floor. It would have killed us in that, in that fire. But God protected us. The next fire went on. As a matter of fact, my buddy John is here. We were in a, a, a fire down in a mutual aid in Northport, Florida. They have all the streets cut through, but there's very few houses sporadically in there, and there was this big fire. About 600 and something acres was burning. There was pine trees, palm trees, and palmettos. It was really going hard. It was really a hot fire. So at one point, John says, let's go to the head of the fire. We're going to stop this fire. So we pull up a block ahead. We've set up the engine. He's going to be on the deck gun, and me and my, the other guy are going to be on hand lines. And John says, let's wait till the fire comes right up to us, and then when that happens, we'll open up the lines and try to stop this fire from moving through. Again, I was praying, saying, Lord, protect me, protect us. And as that fire got real close, John says, okay, and we opened up our hand lines and, and the deck gun on this thing, and it didn't do a thing. This fire blew right over the top of the engine. We ducked down, John ducked down, and this fire blew right past the engine. In the first fire, he saved me out of the fire. In this one, he saved me in the fire. But during these times is when God builds us up in our faith. We take these incidents that happen so that when the next trial comes, we lean, just like David did, on what God was doing for him in, this, uh, in the trials that we come in contact with. So... Every time the Lord preserves us or takes care of us, remember that. Don't forget it because the enemy would have you forget what God has done for you and when the next trial comes, you'll, be, you'll fail. But you need to look at the faithfulness of God. So um, this next verse is what's linked to this verse and it's very important. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good besides you. He says the first line, I said to the Lord. He said to Yahweh, Yahweh, the creator, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the all-powerful God, he says first to him. You see, he knew who God was. He knew this great God who created all this. It is almost like Trump. You don't have to like him. You don't have to do anything with him. But he is the president, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. He is the commander-in-chief. It is the same with God. There's people who know that there is a God, but pff, they live their life that way. But then he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Adonai. Adonai means you are my Lord. You know what that is like doing? You take the crown of the Lord Jesus Christ and put it on his head and say, you are my Lord. I want you to rule my life. I don't want you to be the Lord. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to show me and lead me in this life. And that's what this is. When he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Remember that 
when I was younger in the Lord, I remember when people used to say, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And everybody would say, oh yes. Is he? Or is he just your Savior? There's two different things about lordship and the, and the Lord being your Savior. It is an act of your will. He doesn't force himself to be your Lord. You have to make him Lord. You have to change your thought and know that the Creator can be your Lord. You have to make that decision. It is an act of your will. We used to sing a song when we were younger in the Lord. It was about God's attributes, and I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say the words to you. And we talked about his attribute, about his joy and his love and his peace. And we would say, peace is the flag flown high in the castle of your heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag flown high in the castle of your heart when the king is in residence there. You see, when he is king and he takes up residence in your life, then the people will see God's attributes in you. That is lordship. That is truly what it means to have Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's a decision on your part to say, Adonai. You know, sometimes this is a gradual thing. When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he is wanting to become Lord of your life, there are things that you don't want to let go. There are things that you want to be in control of. The things that you don't want him to get his hands on. But you see, as you move on in this life, you see what it says here? This is the hardest part of this verse. I have no good besides you. Isn't that difficult to know that in you, there's nothing good except for what Christ has done for you and his life in you. The Father is satisfied with one thing and that is his son in you and anything that you have that is good in you has come from him so how do we get to the realization that there's no good in us it comes through our failures our foibles our sins all those things that you go through and you realize you know what i'm bad at making decisions i don't do right things and when that happens you begin to say I need you to be my Lord. I need you to rule over my life. And then you relinquish those things. As time goes on, you take little portions of your life and say, yes, I put the crown on your head for this area of my life. And that's how God begins to show us that there is no good in us and that he should be the Lord of our lives. That's where God wants us to be, where he is truly our Lord. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Now this kind of makes me snicker a little bit because you know what? In church, there are peculiar people here. You could say amen. Because we are strange. The reason why they're peculiar and strange because they're not like you. You see, we're different. We have different things, different quirks. And we look at people in their outer, what, they, what we see here, and sometimes we judge them and we don't want to have nothing to do with them. But be careful. The 
Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him this way no longer. We cannot look at the outer shell, these, these bodies, these personalities and stuff. The reason why David says, in whom is all my delight, they are the majestic ones, you know what that is? You see, Jesus Christ if that person is a true believer and has asked Christ to come into life and come to faith, his life lives inside of you and me. And this is the body of Christ. We all are not an ear, a hand, a foot, an eye. We are all different. But I need you and you need me, whether you like it or not, because there's Christ in some of you that I need that I don't have. That's why it's important that every member functions and, and the life of Christ that comes out of you feeds me. In Psalm 101 it says this, My eye shall be upon the faith of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in blameless way is the one who will minister to me. And then in Psalm 119 it says this, I am a companion of those who fear you and those who keep your precepts. He sees that God's life is important in every one of us. I shared this last service too. There's certain brothers that I hang with, that I know them. Uh, I've been with them for many years. Uh, my friend John who's here, and then I've had this, this accountability group that I meet with on Saturday mornings. And when I meet with these guys, it, on Saturdays, we meet in the park and we pray together. We talk about our lives together. We talk about our sins. We talk about our temptations and our victories and our successes in God. And we pray for one another. We pray for one of another's families. And in that time, I am being built up because the life of Christ in them is ministering to me as I to them. It is so important. That's why I can say, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. I desire to be with my brothers. I desire to feast on Christ in them. That's why I can say it. It's important that we have one another, that we can see that they are the majestic ones. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David chose a contrast of the majestic ones and those ones who are bartering or hastening to another God. In the Old Testament, what they would do, who would worship other gods, small g, they would sacrifice animals and even their own sons and drink their blood thinking that they were satisfying the heart of that God. The only blood that is, should ever interest us is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for me and you. That is the only thing. It's not us shedding blood. It's not us doing any of that stuff. It is all done. It is finished. It is the blood of the Lamb. And yet these people would drink the blood of their sons. And David says, I will not pour out those drink offerings of blood. And then he says, I will not even mention the name of their gods. In Exodus, in the, uh, I think it was the 23rd chapter, it says, it says, do not mention the name of other gods, 
nor let them be heard from your mouth. He doesn't even want us to speak about them. But here's this one part I want to explain to us. There are people who we work with who are not believers. It doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with them because how will they ever hear the gospel? Or how will they ever see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? We do spend time with them. It's just that you don't mingle or play in their playground because it will get you in trouble in the end. I was looking on social media the other day and it was on Facebook and this thing came up it says are you depressed are you having difficulties in life are you troubled with the things that are going on in your life turn to Buddha and join the Buddha Brotherhood and become a worshiper of Buddha I said wait a minute this is stupid because listen they have no ears they have no eyes, they have no mouth, and they can't walk. And they're going to show you which way to go? How foolish, how foolish that is that we would even think that that would help you. But this is what it is. You see it on social media. That people are grasping, hastening, running to other gods because they think they're going to find their life in that. But look what David says. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup, and you support my lot. David sees this. Everything I need is in God. Everything that I need for this life to live a godly life is in Christ. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. He is true food, and he is the drink that fills our cup. Everything that we need is in him. So in other words, why are we, I, we were talking the other night at dinner, and they were talking about this uh, restaurant in California where the tables are real close together at a place called Scomas, was a seafood place, and they said the tables are so close together. You'd have to be a little crazy to go and grab this guy's lobster, but it's not your portion. He says, this is your portion. You eat what's in front of you. You partake of what God has for you. He is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. This, this um, portion that he speaks of, he sees that all that is needed in, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else satisfies. You know, what? In, in the book of Acts, I mean in the Gospels, Peter is speaking and the Lord Jesus Christ talks to Peter and everyone else and says, because he said certain things, he says, you know, everybody's leaving me. But will you leave me too? And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? Because he saw the truth. Same like David and should be same like us. In Deuteronomy in the 18th chapter and in Numbers the 18th chapter, the Lord says to the Levites, the tribe of Levi, saying, when I pass out land to all the tribes, you, tribe of Levi, will not have an inheritance. You will not have land that you own. You will live in cities that are owned by other people. You can partake from the sacrifices that are brought to me and the tithes that are brought from me because I am your inheritance. You see, 
God says about us in the New Testament that we are a kingdom, priests unto our God. We don't take a portion of the world and say, I want this. God says, no, 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 I'm your portion. Everything you need, you'll find in me. You'll find everything you need that pleases your soul in me. I'm your inheritance. And then it says this, and I will support your lot. Everything that God gives you, he'll protect. He will cover, watch over it so that you never have to fear that someone will snatch that away from you. But God is the portion of our inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful for me. You know what these lines are speaking? It's almost like a survey. They draw the lines and say, hey, this is your property. Here's what, what it is. In other words, the lines have fallen to David in pleasant places. He sees everything that God has done for him. In spite of all the troubles and toil that he went through in his life, he still says these lines which keep him are pleasant and they're wonderful because he sees that everything he has comes from him. But there are also borders. You see, God says here, this is your border. Stay within this. Because if you go outside the borders or try to be satisfied with the things of the world and you move out past the lines, you are trespassing. You are going into somebody else's territory. And that is Satan. He is the God of this world. Don't try to be satisfied with those things that Satan wants to offer you and you say, no, I'm in these lines. I am going to stay right where God has placed me. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful for me. I don't need that. Only through experience will you know that's all that God has for you is all you need. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Everything he has for you, if you don't like to eat it, you'll never know if you never try it. My granddaughter, I think she just left for a second. She's at our house this week. She's just a picky eater. She doesn't eat certain things. I said, just try it. You see, we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me at the, in the night. The Lord, if you spend time reading his word and you spend time in prayer, God will begin to counsel you. Don't think that all the stuff in the Bible is going to come into your head by sleeping on it. It ain't going to happen. You need to read his word. You need to meditate on it. You need to come in prayer. And when God begins to counsel, you know what happens? When you lay your head on the pillow at night, your mind, he says, indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. You see, because your mind is being filled up with the Word of God, and as you fill your mind with the Word of God, it says in Romans in the 12th chapter, it's how you renew your mind. You stop the stinking thinking, and you begin to think of Christ's thoughts, and you begin to feast on it, and then at night, you start in the morning, and you spend time with Him, and you read His Word and pray. When you go to bed at night, guess what? Everything that went in your head during the day, your mind will begin to instruct you during the night. He will begin to teach you. You begin to even teach yourself because you're saying the words over what you said. Listen to what this writer wrote. 
He who learns from the Lord and so gets the seed will soon find wisdom within himself growing in the garden of his soul. I'm going to read it one more time. He who learns from the Lord and so gets the seed will soon find wisdom within himself growing in the garden of his soul. As you feast on it, it begins to take root in your life and it will change you to be exactly what God would have you to be. That word will help us to find our way, which we'll talk about in a little, a little later. This is my favorite part of this psalm. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, he instructs me in the night. Wrong verse here. We did that already. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Listen, this is a decision that you and I make. We set the Lord continually before us. God doesn't bully his way into, it, into your life. It's not that way at all. He says, I have set the Lord continually before me. In other words, I want to ask us this question. Who's moving here? Are you taking God and putting him in front of you, or are you moving into God's presence? You see, that's what really is the, the fact here. When you come into his presence, you've placed the Lord in front of you. It's almost like a photographer. If I'm going to take a picture of a tree and that tree is standing still, I can't say to the tree, could you move over and get in my lens where I could take a picture? You know you have to move so you can put the tree in your frame to take the picture. It is the same thing with the Lord. You need to move into his presence, come into his presence, place the Lord in front of you. The, the, the best part of this whole thing is that now that he is in front of you, Everything you do and everything you say is through him. You see him there. He becomes that one where you filter things out. He becomes, it's a sobering fact to know that God is here right in front of you. You won't say things or do things that are inappropriate because he's right here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you have him in front of you and you make it your, your decision, he says the word set. Set means to make a decision of your will, to set it. Like when you set your alarm in the morning, at night, I mean, for you to get up in the morning, you set it knowing that that thing is going to wake you up in the morning. You set it. It was a decision you make. It's like an anchor. If you take a boat and you throw the anchor overboard and that thing is holding tight, that anchor will keep you from drifting. See, when you're anchored into the Lord, when you're anchored in there, you're not going to drift away from him because he's in front of you. He's right here. But then he says this, because he is at your right hand, I will not be shaken. Not only is he here, but he's right here next to us. He's right here. He is the one who because he is with us, because of all he has done and the faithfulness of God all this time, now that he's right here next to me, I will not be shaken. When it speaks of the right hand of God, right hand is always power. Thy right hand and thy holy arm has gotten me the victory. So here he is. He is my source of strength and power when the temptations and the, the trials of life come. He's right here. Psalm 91 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The one who is casting a shadow needs to be near 
where the shadow is. When I'm outside, let's say, and I'm standing and the sun is this way, my shadow is right there. So when you abide in the shadow of the Almighty, the Lord God is right here casting a shadow on you. That proves that he's right here. So the shadow says to you, he's right here. I'm, I'm able to withstand the trial and the tribulation because he's right here with me. I will not be shaken. Victory comes from his presence. The enemy can't get to you when he's right next to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is here to watch over us and protect us. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh shall also dwell securely. David looks at everything that God has shown him, and he writes it in this psalm, and as he writes it, he begins to say, I have, I'm overjoyed at what God has done for me in my life. He watches me. He protects me. I take shadow underneath his wings. All these things that are going on is going through his head, and he gets to this one point. He has to praise God. My heart is so glad, and my glory rejoices. Everything in me say, I, I, I just love my Lord, Adonai. He says, my flesh will also dwell securely. Just like in those fires, my flesh dwelt securely, knowing that the Lord protected me from being burned. But it also means one other thing, which is connected to this next verse, which I'll show you. For you will not, it says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay. For means because. Remember he said, my flesh shall dwell securely. Because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or allow your Holy One to undergo decay. I know there's going to be a day when I'm going to raise from the dead. There's going to be a day that I go into glory. I'm not going to be in the grave forever. It is a promise. But you see what it says in the next part? You will not allow your Holy One to go, undergo decay. You see what that Holy One is? It's caps. You see, David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. He spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what makes it the Messianic Psalm. He speaks of the Lord. And then Peter even speaks in the book of Acts. David, whom we know, our patriarch, had died, and his grave is with us to this day, and he did suffer decay. But this Jesus whom you've crucified, he is alive. He rose from the dead. He did not decay. In other words, that is proof from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. And that means your sins are forgiven. If he didn't raise from the dead, it was because he forgot to pay for one sin. But all the sins have been paid for. When he said those words on the cross, it is finished, God was so pleased that what he did in his obedience has set us free. We are free indeed because of what Christ did. His Holy One did not undergo decay. And here's the last verse. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. First thing he says to him, he says, I will make known to you the path of life. If you're spending time with the Lord and you're reading his word and in being in prayer, I know that I'm redundant saying that over and over again because I need to say it to myself because I don't pray what I, I ought and I don't read as much as I should. But what happens is when you do, he will make known to you the path of life. You know that he doesn't say that I will push you down the road of life. He's going to make it known to you where you're going to go. 
It is your act of your will to say, yes, I will walk there in it. It takes us to make the decision. In, in Isaiah um, 30, verse 21, it says this. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whether you turn to the right or to the left. So God in heaven is looking at you, and he's watching you walk this walk. And as you walk this walk, whether you turn to the right or the left, he says, wait, 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 that's the way, walk in it. You'll hear the words behind you because he's watching over us. He does not want you to go to the right or the left because you will suffer. You'll go down the path that's not what God has you has for you. But if you listen to that voice behind you, nope, this is the way, walk in it. Don't go to the right or the left. Even though we walk through these trials in life, like, Pete, like uh, David did, all the things he went through yet, he says those words right there. In your presence is fullness of joy. Everything you need to have a joyful light is in the Lord. In your presence is fullness of life. And at your right hand there are pleasures for you. Remember I told you before the right hand is a power hand. But you know what it also means in God's kingdom? On the right hand side is where he puts people of dignity. Remember that you are the majestic ones. You are the one that God has deemed to be majestic because of his son living in you. And everything that comes out of God's right hand comes to you because you are the dignity of heaven. And he gives to you. And it's what God does. It's who he is. I'm going to read this last psalm and then I'm going to read one other thing and then we'll close. Psalm 36, 8, it says this. They shall drink their full of the abundance of your house, and you will give them to drink of the river of your delights. You see, God is wanting to give you the fullness of who he is. But you need to be in the right place by coming into his presence, stepping to where God, you can have him in front of you all the time. And I, I read this this morning in a devotional, and I want to share it with us. It has a lot to do with how God watches over us and the way we go and how the enemy attacks. Our heavenly protector anticipated all the attacks that are about to be made upon us. And when the evil designed for us is still in the desire of Satan, he prays for us that our faith will not fail when we are sifted like wheat. Continue then, gracious watchman, to warn us of our foes, and for Zion's sake, do not remain silent. You see, God is watching over us. He knows what's going to come your way. But stand. When you've done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, because God is with you. And I'll ask this last question. Is he your Adonai? Is he your Lord? Have you placed the crown upon the Lord Jesus' head so that you know that he is going to watch over you and you protect you? Adonai. I love those words. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your written word. I thank you for all that you've done in our lives and how we've, uh, you preserved us and, and we've taken refuge in you and trusted in you, Lord. And we just pray that you, we, we get to the point in our lives that we surrender all to you, Lord.
that everything in our lives would come under your lordship, Lord, and that that flag would fly high in the castle of my heart when you are taking residence there. So I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that your will would be done in our lives and that we would be a victorious church. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.